0: purpose of this whole series is to try to help us connect the dots of the Genesis story to our story. This isn't just some ancient story that doesn't apply to us today, but it is our story. These are our ancestors. These are our people. Uh, It is the grand story of God's rescue plan and redemption for humanity and all of creation. And I want you to understand that. Genesis is the beginning of God's rescue plan for all of us. These stories, although they're ancient and old, they still apply to us today. And last week we started with a creation story down at this end with Adam and Eve. And we talked about the first creation story in Genesis 1. And we saw the beauty and the design of God's creation its purpose and the framework of it and the creation of humanity, that we were created in the image of God. And we were created with purpose and passion, uh, that God's creation was perfect. And today we continue that story. Uh, But as I said before, I want us to understand the flow of Genesis and the major players of the Genesis story so that we can connect the dots of their story to ours as well. So I have these dots up here in your... uh, bulletin. There is space for you to take notes. Again, I, we said this last week. I think Charlie said it last week. Uh, you're going to have to work. You can't just absorb. You have to be diligent in your discipleship, in your learning, in how you grow in your knowledge of Scripture. So if you understand these major players in the story of Genesis, you will hopefully get the whole story. Uh, but again, Genesis starts out with creation with Adam and Eve. And from there, it goes on to the story of Noah. And we're, that's kind of where we're hanging out this morning. From Noah, it goes to Abraham and, and, and God's covenant with Abraham. We're going to talk about Abraham next week. And it is such an important story for our understanding of who God is. I hope you're here next week. It is very important as we talk more about covenant and Abraham. So uh, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, And then Jacob and Joseph. Those are the major players in this story. And these are the order that they appear. So hopefully that can help you connect the dots of their story. And also told you that the book of Genesis has two major sections. There's other subsections throughout Genesis. But these are the two major sections. And and we're going to focus on these. The first one is Genesis 1-11. through That's creation and Noah. These are the oldest stories in Scripture. They're they're some of the oldest stories we have on record. Uh, Scholars call it prehistory because it's hard. We don't know when it took place. It's hard to date these stories of of Adam and Eve and Noah and these stories from Genesis 1 through 11. And then Genesis 12 through fifty. This is dateable history when we can actually place a date when Abraham walked the earth and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And so 12 through 50 tells their stories. And Genesis 12:1 is kind of the hinge between these two stories. And it kind of gives us this, this great uh, testimony of, of who we are and who God is in his covenant language. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, but let's go back to the garden, the Garden of Eden. Here we have God's perfect creation. With Adam and Eve living in this ideal paradise. And God has given his children everything they need. Everything they could ever want. They are the kings and queens of the kingdom. This is what God wanted. This was his purpose. As I said last week, a a great quote from Sandra Richter. She says, it's the people of God in the place of God Dwelling in the presence of God. It is the people of God in the place of God, dwelling in the presence of God. Let's go to that next screen. There it is. There's the quote from Sandra Richter. This was God's design for creation and for us. This is what God wanted from the very beginning when light and life was created. And God took an incredible risk, though, when He created this world. And created humans in his image. You know what the risk was? It's more than that, it was love. The risk was love. Because you can't force someone to love, can you? The risk was God created us in his image to love. And in that love, we had the choice, the risk of choice. Adam and Eve had a a choice to choose his world or reject God's world. God gave Adam and Eve free will within that divine sovereignty that he had. He did not force his will on us. And this was God's first covenant with humanity. We find it in the garden. What we call the Adamic, Adam, I see, Adamic covenant, or the creation covenant covenant god said i will give you all of this this paradise everything around you and you will rule over it there's only one thing you can't do don't eat of this tree and the consequences of you eating of this tree is that you will die that was the consequence of not obeying the covenant make sense So this is covenant language we have here. And and we need to say a word about covenant because it is one of the binding ideas of our entire Bible. The idea of covenant. We're going to spend more time on this, especially next week. And and I hope you're here next week to, to hear this. But I want you to understand the basic idea of a covenant. Of course, when we think of covenant... A covenant is, is a legal deed. It's an agreement between two or more parties. And, and one of the best images I have of covenant is, is marriage. Marriage is a covenant. And, and indeed, we see this image of marriage even being used throughout Scripture, and especially in the New Testament and in Revelation at the end when it says, we, the church, is the bride of Christ we have that image of, of marriage and covenant and this, this perfect relationship that's supposed to be. Now, we know marriages aren't always perfect, but we know in Christ that God can make it perfect. And so we have these ideas of covenant. The Bible is built on covenant language. We have to understand this. In fact, it is structured around covenant. And we have to understand that in the ancient world, the world of the Bible... They built their lives around covenants. So in addition to knowing the major players of Genesis, we also have to understand the major covenants of the entire Bible. Because again, as I said, their lives were built around covenants. So when we talk about covenant, this isn't something new for the people that it was written to. These people understood that language and what a covenant was about. And we'll talk more again next week. But, But there are... Five covenants, basically, in the Old Testament and one in the New Testament. And they start out, look at this. The first covenant is in creation with Adam and Eve. The second covenant is with Noah. The third covenant is with Abraham. The fourth covenant is with Moses. All right, Avery, you're up now. Can you switch the other three? I can't reach that far. The next covenant with David, and then the New Testament, Jesus. Man, look at these. That's, good job. Give Avery. Good job. Way to go. These are the covenants of Scripture. And check this out. Three of our six covenants are in Genesis. Do you think it's important to understand Genesis? Amen. It is the beginning of this idea of God as a covenant-making God. Who He is and how we are created. So you have the six players, and you have six major covenants in Scripture that we see. So back to the story of Adam and Eve. The first great covenant that God makes with us. Well, we know the outcome of the story. We read it in Genesis 3 earlier, uh, where Adam and Eve... uh, they eat from the, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And although the consequences of breaking this covenant was death, we see that God was merciful. He didn't kill Adam and Eve, but they were still banished from the garden. But there was still a death. Did you know that? There was a death in the breaking of this covenant. The text is this, that God made garments of skin for the man and for his wife and clothed them. An animal was sacrificed in order that Adam and Eve's shame could be covered. There was a death. For earlier, remember the text says, one of my favorite texts, the man and the wife were naked and they were unashamed. And now it says they're ashamed. They're naked and ashamed. They now realize they're naked and they're ashamed. So God in his mercy covers them. But there are consequences for their sin. And we're going to go through these consequences quickly. First, it says the serpent, Satan, the great deceiver, is cursed. And here is where we have the first prophecy of God's future rescue plan for humanity. Right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between the snake and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He, Satan, will strike your head uh, and you will strike his heel. Uh, this is that first prophecy. It might not seem much right now as we're reading it, but we see this prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus as he crushes the head of Satan in his death and resurrection. And where we see Satan thinks he has a fatal blow when he strikes the heel, but in the cross, But really, uh, it is a blow, but we see Jesus winning out. This is the first prophecy. As Christians, we see this as that first prophecy of of Jesus in this future rescue plan. So in this broken covenant, we see Satan is cursed. There's another curse as well. We read that the ground is cursed. The ground that produced crops freely and it was easy and there's this great garden is now cursed. And it will be difficult to produce what we need. And it will take labor and a lot of hard work. And if you read the text closely, you will see that Adam and Eve are not cursed. Satan is cursed. The ground is cursed. Now there are consequences for their sin. Adam and Eve both have consequences. And in fact, it talks about both of them will receive pain. The same Hebrew word is used for both Adam and Eve when it discusses the different pain that they will receive. And the consequence of their sin. In Eve, it says, in pain, you will bring forth children. And it says that her desire will be for her husband and that he will rule over her. There's a breaking somehow of this marital relationship that has consequences even today. Where at first the man and the woman were to be co-regents, co-leaders in this kingdom. Now it, this marriage covenant, it, it, it is broken somehow. There's, there's this strife and we see this consequence of sin that quickly, immediately there begins to be strife between the man and the woman. Remember when God says, what happened? Who did what? And, 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 and Eve blames the serpent and, and the man begins to blame the woman and they start to blame each other. And there's this marital strife that begins immediately. The consequence of sin. And so we see this relationship between the man and the woman begins to break down. Do we see any marriages like that today? Right? Even in good ones, we we see this struggle sometimes for for competition and for who's in control. Second, for Adam, the consequence says that by the sweat of his brow, he will labor, labor. Now, if you'll put up that by the sweat of your brow... It's an interesting phrase. And, uh, you know, when we think about it, we've used that phrase over the years, uh, and we think the consequence is hard work. By the sweat of your brow, you will labor. But actually, that phrase probably doesn't mean hard work. Because think about it, men. You know, if you've ever had a great hard day's work and you feel good, you're like, oh, that was good. The consequence isn't hard work. In fact, that phrase, by the sweat of your brow, is an ancient idiom it's actually an Akkadian idiom that means work that produces anxiety so the consequence is anxiety the consequence for our sin is no longer will the earth freely yield to us and we have more than enough and we have enough but now the consequence is will I have enough The consequence is that I'm working hard and and do I have enough money to support my family? The consequence is, you know, we don't know what happens if my kids get sick. Do I have enough to to protect them and to, to go to the doctor? Will I be able to provide for my family? What if I lose my job? That's the consequence of sin. is that anxiety that we have in trying to provide for each other. So Adam and Eve are banished from the garden and they start a family. And we see quickly the consequence of sin as it spirals out of control. And in that first generation, Adam and Eve, they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And we see it ends with Cain killing his younger brother, Abel. Just in one generation. We go from a perfect world to murder in one generation. And it spirals down from there. That is the consequence of our sin, of our brokenness, of how we have broken the world. Jealousy raises its ugly head. And right on the heels of this story of the murder is this this random story about a man named Lamech who boasts about having more than one wife. And he boasts about how proud he is that he has avenged a wrongdoing by killing someone else. So here we have this guy marrying multiple wives and he's proud about killing someone else. We see the consequence of sin. And it just spirals down from there. And then we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. We read the story earlier. It says this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth. And that every inclination of their thoughts, of their hearts, was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth. And it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created. People together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor. In the sight of the Lord. Praise God for Noah. But this was the world that Noah lived in. Characterized by evil continuously. You know how often we look at our world and think how much evil there is in the world. And we wonder about it. You watch the news and your Facebook scroll and you, you see all of this terrible things going on. I just wonder how bad it was then. When God said, I'm done, I'm going to start over. I'm going to put the reset button. But this is how God responds to this evil and the wickedness. He wants to start over. He wants to wipe the slates clean and begin again. But again, we see a glimpse of God's mercy in the midst of great evil. Because he doesn't completely destroy the world. There is hope. That that, that is the story. There is hope in the midst of great evil. There is hope in the midst of hopelessness. There is a chance for good to come out of it. It says, Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. God's rescue plan for humanity is now going through the family of Noah. Now we've all, no doubt, heard the story of Noah. As I said earlier, it's an ancient story. What I find fascinating, though, is that there are many other ancient flood narratives, flood stories. Did y'all know that? There are a lot of these old flood stories, of all, uh, and, and they all have kind of a same story. Uh, the most famous is uh, the Gilgamesh Epic. Anybody heard of it? What do they teach you today? The Gilgamesh Epic. It's an ancient flood story. Uh, but here's the fascinating thing about this. In all these other flood stories... It's all of these pagan gods, and they decide to to end the earth, just on a whim. You know they're tired of humans; they're getting in their way. So they they decide to uh, destroy humanity by means of a great flood. And in all of these stories, there's some type of hero that that gets wind of the plan, and and so he builds a boat, and he's saved through the boat and the waters. And then the gods realize that hey, who's going to be our slaves? If we destroy all of humanity. So they kind of repent and say, Oh, we shouldn't have done that. We need to kind of keep humans around so that they can serve us and feed us. And and that's basically how all these flood narratives go, including the Gilgamesh epic. To me, I find it fascinating. I think all of these flood stories point to the reality that there was, at some point in the ancient past, a great flood. In this part of the world especially. And it destroyed civilization. Because all of these different cultures and places have these stories. But there is a huge difference between these ancient flood narratives and our story of Noah. A huge difference. A vastly different theologically. With Noah, the point of the the destruction of the world is the destruction of evil. With all the other flood narratives, it was just the gods are mad. With Noah, it is a point that he is going to save humanity through a family. God saves him because he is a vital part of God's ultimate rescue plan for humanity. And we see the mercy of God in the midst of his judgment. With the other flood stories, the gods realize they need slaves, so they decide to keep humanity around. With Noah, we realize God says, I want to start over, a new beginning. So God has Noah built a boat he brings on to it all the animals. It causes a great flood. The world is destroyed. It rains for 40 days and 40 nights. They're in the boat for a lot longer. They finally get dry land. And they exit the ark. It's a new beginning. Let's pick up from there. Genesis 9, 1 through 17. It says this. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. As for me, I'm establishing my covenant with you, and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. I love this story. I think it's fascinating because the same language that is used at the beginning in the creation of the world and humanity, God tells Adam and Eve, what does he say? He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? That's part of that covenant. What does he tell Noah and his family? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The same language, the same covenant is given to them. God's rescue plan and intent for creation is being started anew with Noah. Here we have the same covenant language. But this time it's different. In the first covenant, God makes a covenant with Adam and Eve in a perfect world, right? Before the fall, before they sinned, God made a covenant. Now God's making a covenant with a fallen humanity, with a broken humanity. And he says, although you deserve to die, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm not going to completely destroy the world again by a flood. So we see this God of mercy, even in the midst of great evil. So how do we connect the dots of Adam and Noah's story to the dots of our life? Let me help and see if you, if you do not see that. Hopefully you can see God is a covenant God. He has given us promises and we can trust his promises. We will see throughout each of these great covenants. That God never breaks His promise. Even when we break the covenant. I want you to understand that. The covenant that he made in Eden. He's made with us. This covenant that he made with Noah. He's made with us. This covenant that he made with Abraham. He's made with us. This covenant that he made with Moses. He's made with us. This covenant that he made with David. He's made with us this covenant that he made in Jesus. He is made with us. We serve a covenant God. We are the descendants of Adam and Eve and Noah. Now we feel the consequences of our sin and our rebellion. We just look out the door and we see the brokenness of the world. But God has a rescue plan for us. We experience the brokenness of the world, but God is a God of new beginnings and grace and mercy. Despite the destructive nature of our sin, God has a rescue plan if we will accept it. We can have this hope even when we live in evil and desperate times. So as we finish up this morning, I want to invite you to think about what is your next step? What is your next step as we move forward in our faith? You have your connect card on the back as a space where you can place your next step. Let me give you some thoughts and ideas about what your next step might actually be. Maybe you need to go back and reread Genesis 1 through 11 with this idea of language of covenant and who God is. Maybe that's one thing you could do. Maybe I would encourage you to memorize the six players in Genesis and the six major covenants so that you know them. They just roll off your tongue so that as we talk about these stories, you know where you are in the story and you can place your story with it. I would encourage you to have an intentional conversation about Adam and Noah and the consequence of sin and those curses. And maybe you could consider how the hope God gave to Adam and Noah Can bring hope even in a seemingly hopeless situation in your life. What is your next step? Let us pray.